We're officially a week away from Christmas around the Big East. Teams are still trying to do their own holiday shopping, if you will, trying to get some last-minute wins before the holidays. A few teams will try to get conference wins this weekend. Other teams trying to pull some upsets. So I'm going to talk about all that. And Russ Steinberg joins me to talk about Paige Beckers' injury and how the Huskies will fare without her during that eight-week timetable that her doctors, trainers, so on and so forth have set for her after her surgery on Monday here on the Igloo. So, not a lot of action Tuesday and Thursday and, you know, no action until Sunday, but let's talk about what happened Tuesday. Well, last time when I recorded, DePaul Nichols was live. Nichols got off to a good start, but DePaul, man, they just steamrolled their way through the rest of the ball game. Led by as many as 34. Well, I should... Actually, no. I, I For a second, when I was checking it live, it looked like Nichols had led at some point. But turns out they didn't lead. And DePaul led by as many as 34. And they were up by 28 after three quarters. It was 78 to 50. And DePaul wins it 100 to 72. Great balanced effort from the Blue Demons in this game. Led by 21 points from Sonia Morris. 9 of 17 shooting from the field. And the crazy thing is, you know, this is a high-paced game. DePaul took 91 shots. 91. They made 40 of them. 8 for 30 from 3. But anyways, Morris, again, 9 for 17 from the floor. 21 minutes. Uh, 21 points, rather, in 23 minutes. Other starters that produced pretty well in this game, Lexi Held and Anissa Morrow, each with 14 points. For Held, 5 boards and 5 assists. And for Morrow, 9 rebounds, 4 assists. And for Held, best 3-point shooting of any Blue Demon in this game, arguably. 3 for 5 from 3. Darion Rogers was 2 for 4 from 3 and 3 for 6 from the floor to score 12 points to go with 6 boards and 4 assists in 21 minutes. Deja Church was the only DePaul starter in single figures. 4 points, 6 boards, and a couple assists. 2 for 7 from the floor in 22 minutes. But off the bench, how about the performance from D. Bekelja? 16 points, 5 boards, 3 assists, 8 for 11 from the field in 24 minutes of action. And every DePaul player that played scored. They got seven from Caitlin Ammons, the freshman, five each from Hannah Purcell and Kiki Rimmer, and a bucket from Kendall Holmes. As for Nichols, they were led off the bench by Chelsea Kane with 18 points. And from the starters, 16 from Brianna Washington, 14 from China Allen, and 13 from Kirsten Green. And shockingly, Nichols shot the ball better, 45% compared to 4 for 13 from the free throw line, uh, from 3. But DePaul, they're rolling now, 9-2 and two on the year after beating Nichols big. Seen Hall went back under 500 after 
a disappointing home loss to UCF. 68-56 the final. Seton Hall started off well in the first quarter, but the second quarter has usually been their problem. They got outscored in this quarter 18-8 against the Knights. They, they battled back and made it a three-point game after three as it was 47-44, but UCF just had too much in this game, and the Knights come into Walsh Gym and beat Seton Hall 68-56, led by 22 points from Diamond Battles. Great name, by the way. Four, four boards, six assists, eight for 12 from the floor, two for four from three. They got 15 from Alicia Lewis and a dozen each from Massini Kaba and Tay Sanders. UCF shot it really well. A little over 50% from the field and even 50% from three. Seton Hall, 21 for 47 just under 45%, and they were 7 for 18 from 3. And you know what's crazy? Both teams were perfect from the free throw line. UCF was 9 for 9, Seton Hall 7 for 7. But leading the way for the Pirates, 15 points for Andre Espinosa-Hunter to go with 4 assists, 3 for 8 from 3, 6 for 13 from the field. Sidney Cooks, 13 points, 7 rebounds, 6 of 16 from the field, a rough shooting night. For the transfer from Mississippi State. And Lauren Park Lane. 8 points, 5 assists in 40 minutes. Credit UCF for defending her really well. She only took 5 shots. Made 2 of them. Both from behind the arc. Where she was 2 for 4 shooting it. Maya Bembry. 6 points, 4 rebounds. 2 for 6 from the floor in 34 minutes. Maya Jackson only played 2 minutes and... I believe I'm, you know, I don't want to sound stupid, but I mean, when you play two minutes, I mean, something must have gone wrong. So, for her, you know, whether it be injury, illness, I mean, listen, I'm a busy guy. Like, I mean, I was refing that night, so I mean, should I have done my research? Probably, but I mean, I didn't really. I the game was going on while I was refing, so. Apologies in advance, but off the bench, though, I mean, UCF got nothing from the bench. Seton Hall got 14 points on the bench, which is 25% of the scoring. Kayla Harris with 7 points in 13 minutes. Amari Wright played 31 minutes in place of the, of you know, the in place of Jackson. She scored 5 points, dished out 6 assists, which was a team high in 31 minutes. 2 for 3 from the floor, made 1 of 2 from 3. And then they got 2 points from Curticia Dean. So the Pirates fall to 4 and 5 with that loss. Now Thursday, Creighton hosting South Dakota. And shockingly, South Dakota, they rally. They were down 10 at the end of the first. And it was an 8-point game at halftime. But... South Dakota, they come back, outscoring Creighton 43-33 in the second half to win 73-71. So after the first quarter, uh, Creighton was outscored 65-53. Leading the way for South Dakota was Chloe Lamb. The senior with 20 points, 3 for 7 from 3, and 8 for 15 from the floor. 
They got 17 from their center, Hannah Sjurvin. 16 from Maddie Kroll, who is a native of Omaha. So in her homecoming, 37 minutes, 16 points. 6 for 9 from the field and 4 for 5 from 3. And they also got 12 from Liv Corngable. 5 of 10 shooting, made both of her 3-point attempts. And the 3-ball propelled propelled the Coyotes to a win. 11 for 19 from 3, which is just a hair under 58%. And they shot 49% as a team. And they really played the five starters basically the whole game. And their four bench players that they played played a combined eight minutes. Creighton shot the ball well too. 56% from the field. 42% from three is not bad. Leading the way for the Blue Jays, Emma Ronziak, 23. Three points, nine for eleven from the floor, three for five from three. Tatum Rumbaugh, fifteen points, six boards, uh, six assists rather, and four and four rebounds. Six for ten from the floor, three for five from three. Other starters to contribute: Peyton Brodsky with six, all from behind the arc. She was two for three from three, and two for four from the field, and then they got five from Lauren Jensen. And then off the bench, they got a combined 21 points, 7 each from Molly Mogensen and Morgan Maley. They got a bucket from Mallory Brake and then 5 points out of Rachel Saunders. So Creighton, first home loss of the season as they fall to South Dakota by a pair. And then DePaul returning to action against Northern Illinois at Wintrust. And again, DePaul, that prolific offense continuing to flex its muscle, winning 103-71. to 20 from Darion Rodgers, 4 for 8 from 3, and 8 for 14 from the floor. 18 from Deja Church, 8 for 16 from the field, and 2 for 3 from 3. 16 from Anissa Moore to go with 15 rebounds. Sonia Morris only had 7 points, but dished out 10 assists. Lexi held 14.7 assists. And get this. You thought the 91 shots they took against Nichols was insane? They took 101 against the Huskies. Off the bench, though, Dee Bakelja, another brilliant performance. 15 points, all from behind the arc, where she was 5 for 8 and finished 5 for 11 from the field. Nine boards and three assists in 26 minutes. Seven from Purcell and six from Rimmer, and for Rimmer in only seven minutes. Leading the way for the Huskies, 26 points from Asia Davis. 12 for 15 from the floor and 13 rebounds as well. They got 14 from Janae Poisson. 12 from Shelby Coker. And then off the bench, nine from Emily Miner and two from Jaden Marable. And then one last note, Sydney McCrea in the starting lineup only scored six points, two for nine from three, and two for 11 from the floor. And then their starting forward, Laura Nickel, well, 
along with Davis, their other starting forward, only one for five from the floor, finished with just two points. So DePaul, they're now 10-2 and two on the year. And they're the first Big East team on the women's side to win 10 games this year. So, coming up next, Russell Steinberg joins me. Uh, jo- Excuse me, Russell Steinberg. Ru- I can't even get on my words. Russell Steinberg joins me to discuss UConn and the Paige Becker's injury and what to expect from them during the timetable in which she'll be on the shelf following her knee surgery. So that's coming up next here in the Igloo, and hopefully I don't fumble over my words as badly as I did at the end of this segment. Welcome back inside the Igloo. Now, for the first time, we have a you know real bright, mind in terms of his coverage of women's basketball joining the show you know like and not to mention he's got a great account in general i mean there's a reason why i followed it it's so much great stuff i mean you can't miss uh but joining me now writer for writer and editor for boardroom russell steinberg russ you know it's really funny i know we spoke at biggest media day a couple months ago but it's really great to actually get you on the show now i'm happy to be here i'll i'll always be uh, willing and able to talk basketball with you I mean, I mean, for me, like, seriously, that takes me to a happy place. I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, so the reason why I'm in here, why I got you in here, you know, Paige Becker's big injury for her, uh, you know, she had her surgery on Monday and they set the table for timetable for that is for eight weeks from the date of the surgery. Uh, so before that surgery even happened, uh, you know, how did you see, see and observe how UConn did in their first two full games, you know, really, you know, night and day, how they looked against Georgia Tech on the road and then against UCLA in New Jersey at the Never Forget Tribute Classic. Yeah, um, Georgia Tech was a, a bad game for you kind of have to dive right into uh, without Beckers and then also without Nika Mule and, and AZ Fudd. I mean, this was a team that had basically seven healthy bodies. Uh, so it was always going to be a struggle what worried me going into it and what I think we ended up seeing was that over the beginning portion of the season, as individually talented as everybody on this roster is, it was a team that at times could really struggle to score, particularly in the half court and particularly against good teams. And when that happens, you always had that page Becker safety net. You always had, you know, give the ball to page, let her make the play. Uh, and you suddenly take that away. Well, what happens if UConn goes into a slump? And not only did UConn go into a slump against Georgia Tech, but they scored, I think, three points the entire fourth quarter. I mean, that was whatever is beyond a slump. And they came out then against UCLA, and it looked like it was going to be more of the same. Uh, Avina Westbrook hit a couple of big shots to kind of keep the game close. But there was never really any indication in in that first half that this team had turned a corner. And then that all changed in the second half. And yeah, Avina hit some big shots. Dorky Yuha's had the best game she's had all season. And UConn's going to need her because Aaliyah Edwards has, unfortunately, feels like taking a step back this year. Uh, So if Dorka can contribute at a high level, that's huge. Uh, Olivia Nelson-Adota, also uh, it came up huge. So you, you were starting to get contributions from everybody. And now 
really, I think kind of the last piece to this puzzle here uh, is really getting Kristen Williams going. And if you could get her going too, and Avina keeps making big plays and she kind of directs the show, then I think you've got a team that, that can compete with really good teams, even without Paige Beckers. Maybe not beat all of them, but that could compete. But, I mean, how about the way that Caroline Ducharme has stepped over the past week or so? Yeah, that's I, I should have mentioned Ducharme as well. Um, she had some big minutes against Georgia Tech, um, showed she's an absolute beast rebounding the ball, and then she was able to get going a little bit offensively against UCLA. And there was always going to be a need for one of the freshmen to fill that, to fill a scoring gap. And Ducharme was the most obvious candidate. Not only was she the second highest uh, ranked player in this class after FUD, uh, but she came in being touted as a really good shooter. And as a freshman, it's really difficult to come in and actually make good on that if you're not getting consistent minutes. And just by nature of how loaded UConn is, she wasn't at the beginning of the season. Well, now she is because she has to, and she's taken advantage of it. And that's a credit to her. Um, I would also say, you know, she's maybe a couple steps behind uh, Ducharme in, in terms of being, you know, ready to compete at this level. Uh, but Amari DeBerry has also had some really good minutes over the last couple of games. And she's someone else I would really watch out for. Uh now, with that UCLA game, I mean, we saw Gino get livid, and rightfully so, because, you know, his player got hacked and nothing got called. Uh, but during that scramble, you know, you know, obviously, you know, he had, you know, his top, his go-to assistant uh, try to hold him back, uh, trying to hold him back. But Paige Peckers, of all people, also got in the way. You know, uh, you know what did you see uh, down at the Prudential Center? Yeah, so apparently this wasn't on camera. So I, I tweeted it and people were like reacting like it was some huge thing, which I guess it was. Uh, but I was sitting behind the Yukon bench, like a section over on that corner there. And Gino runs out onto the court, gets teed up immediately. At this point, he is probably almost under the Yukon basket. And Chris Daly, his, his assistant, is holding his shirt, trying to pull him back. And out of the corner of my eye, I see a move, movement behind the bench. And it's Paige Beckers, who had been sitting behind the bench because she has her crutches and everything she needs to spread out, who, without her crutches, jumped over the bench and tried to get to Gino. I don't think she made it there, um, but my heart stopped for a second. Like, I was terrified until it was very clear that she was okay. But, I mean, that's it shows the passion that she has for the game. It it shows how badly she wants to be out there that someone coming less than a week after that injury. And I'm sure you saw it. It looked terrible was throwing all of that aside for a second uh, because she felt a need to help her team. That, and that it really is amazing. I mean, you know, like we talk about, you know, generational type talents and generational type, like competitors. I mean, Paige, even though it really wasn't in the sense that like she's trying to help her team win per se in an instance like this, she's going above and beyond to do something that could, I mean, pretty risky. Yeah. Uh, you know, Gino has called her a pain in the ass on the bench when, uh, when she can't be in the game. And of course, if she can't affect the game by scoring or, or by playing, uh, 
the only way she could do it, I guess, is to keep the coach from getting thrown out, which that's, I mean, hey, good, good for her. But yeah, I mean, it, it was a scary moment. I, I wish she would have taken a second to, to think about that, but luckily she seemed to be fine. And, you know, she had her surgery after that game uh, and, and all seems to be going well for now. So the timetable they gave was eight weeks. And during this eight week stretch, you know, they have a pretty competitive schedule and it starts Sunday against the sixth ranked Louisville Cardinals at Mohegan Sun Arena. And, you know, things are going to get tough because they face the two top teams in the conference, most likely as it stands, you know, right before the start of the new year. And then, of course, you know, in January, two tough road games against programs that one, you know, has had success in the past five to 10 years. Another has been arguably the best. It's clearly the number one team and it's going to be a rematch from the Bahamas. Uh, but, you know, let's talk about that slate and how you think UConn will fare beginning with that game against Louisville. Yeah, I, I'm not too concerned about the Louisville game because if, if they lose it, well, you know, you're, you're down three essential players and you lose a game to the number six team in the country. I, I think it's a very forgivable loss if they take it. And hey, if they could build on what they did against UCLA and, and pull it out, then it, it even better. I, I'm more interested in how they're going to perform in those first two conference games, because at that point, you're expected to have Nika Mule and AZ Fudd back. And that is essentially going to be your team until you have Paige Beckers, if you do get her, you know, at some point in February. So how they perform against Marquette and DePaul is going to basically tell us, is this still, you know, far and away the best team in the Big East? Is this still a Final Four contending team without Paige Beckers? Or is this just another average team? We're going to find out. And I, I think that the more games that the group gets to play together complete, minus page of uh, the better because when she comes back they're all going to be better for it oh yeah and 100 percent on that and you know it, it's crazy to think you know it required an injury to the best player in women's college basketball for uconn's win streak in conference play to be in jeopardy because this team hasn't lost a conference game since march 4th 2013 yeah i mean let's let's be honest a lot of that has to do with the fact that they were in the American for so long and mm -hmm. the American. Yes. Not a AAC slander. Yes. Yeah. I mean, listen, UConn is at, at full strength. UConn is by far the best team in the big East. I think everyone would agree with that, but at least the other big East programs try, you know, like uh, DePaul and Marquette are legit programs that are building something that you could see. Creighton just put a bunch of money into a, a nice women's basketball facility. I applaud that. Seton Hall is always competitive. St. John's is the last team to beat UConn in a conference game. Like these, these are programs that at some point are going to be able to get it together. And you just didn't have that in the American. So UConn was never going to be threatened. I don't think UConn's going to go seven years in the Big East without losing a game. And it might happen this year. It, it might not, but someone's going to get them eventually. So given how DePaul, you know, just recently went on the road and beat number 14 Kentucky down in Lexington, you know, between those two games, Marquette being at home and DePaul being at Wintrust, do you think the latter of those two games is probably 
UConn's most likely opportunity for them to drop one in conference play this year. Yeah, I, I think DePaul's a better team right now. Uh, I mean, compared to Marquette. Uh, you, you mentioned the Kentucky win. I'm not sold on Kentucky being, I think, as good as their ranking would indicate. But, I mean, listen, quality wins a quality win. And DePaul is a team that wasn't getting those last year. They really disappointed. And, hey, they're back. Doug Bruno is an, an excellent coach. Uh, someone who actually, he's very close with Gino Oriema. I think the two of them have learned a lot from each other over, over the years. And that's probably the, the program that I would have the most respect for after UConn in, in this conference, just seeing the uh, the consistency that they've had over the years. And it's great to see that they're back to being where, where they should be. So going into January, I mean, let's talk about these road games against Oregon. And then of course the rematch in Columbia against top ranked South Carolina. I mean, you know, we've seen a lot of ranked teams go down. I mean, you know, NC state, I believe went down, you know, recently. So, you know, it's not like any team in the top five is safe at this point. So, you know, I'm not, obviously I'm not going to say UConn's going to win in Columbia, especially without Paige Beckers. Uh, but, you know, those two road games in non-conference play, you know, that could also leave huge ind- indicators for, you know, how far this team has progressed in the absence of Beckers and, you know, where they could be by the time she comes back shortly thereafter. Oh, for, for sure. And, and how UConn plays against South Carolina, whether they win or lose, uh, is going to be very telling because I, I think back to that game in the Bahamas and I think that the narrative now is that UConn got blown out because I see what the final score is, but this was a really competitive game for three quarters. And there were stretches where UConn looked unbeatable in that game. Like they, they had South Carolina back on their heels for a good portion of that first half. Uh, and then they just fell apart in the fourth quarter. If this is a team that, it, when they meet in uh, in South Carolina, if this is a team that can avoid doing that, that can really play a full 40 minutes, whether they win or lose, I think I'll be very encouraged. It's, you know, I, we were talking about media day earlier. Something Paige said at media day when she was asked how this year's team is different from last year's. She said, you know, we, we got knocked down against Arizona and we didn't know how to get back up. And that's, I mean, that's why we lost the game because Arizona came out hot and we weren't sure what to do. Well, they got knocked down against South Carolina. And again, they didn't know how to get back up. Uh, So clearly they hadn't figured it out over the off season. If they figure it out against South Carolina, even if they come up short, I'm fine with that. I think the Oregon game is a little bit more interesting because Oregon's going to be desperate because they've had some injuries as well and they've missed some big opportunities as well. So obviously the Oregon game being the most likely winnable opportunity. I mean, if UConn is able to get that one, like, do you think that puts them in a very good position in terms of, you know, staying in that conversation and inching closer once they get Paige Beckers back to being back where they rightfully belong on the one line? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how this team gets seeded. I think South Carolina is the only safe one seed at this point. After that, the other three are kind of up for grabs. And 
you know, yes, the committee will take into account that Paige Becker's missed a major portion of the season. And if she's back, you know, the losses will be looked at, you know, with that kind of asterisk, but they're still losses. And more than that, they're missed opportunities to get big wins. And let's face it, the Big East doesn't provide you the same opportunities that the ACC, the SEC, and the Big Ten provide. Uh, a win at DePaul might be good, but it's not like, you know, South Carolina getting a chance to play Tennessee, Kentucky, Texas, Texas A&M. <laughs> I put Texas in the SEC already. That's where my mind is. But you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You're, yeah. You're already in the future, man. It's... I mean, listen, it's been a long week. It's it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> Horns down, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, speaking of Tennessee, though, I mean, it looks like, I mean, it's right around the window where that timetable of eight weeks ends. But given Paige Becker's intercompetitiveness, she's going to try as hard as she can to be ready for that game, especially because it's going to be on national television on Fox at the Excel Center. Oh, for, for sure. And honestly, knowing how competitive she is, she's probably going to try to be ready for the South Carolina game, even though that's before this eight-week window is up. Now, I hope that uh, they're able to kind of take their time with this. Um, but listen, th- this, is, uh, this is the most famous rivalry in, in, col- in women's college basketball, UConn and Tennessee. And Paige grew up watching UConn. She loved UConn growing up, so she knows what this rivalry is. She got to play in it last year in Tennessee. Uh, she got to hit a big shot that went a long way towards UConn winning that game. But it wasn't in front of a packed house, and it wasn't at home. And you only get so many opportunities to play a big rivalry game at home in college in front of a sellout crowd. And you know that she that she's thinking about it, and you know, I really hope she gets a chance to play in it, uh, you know, for her. Uh, but also, I hope that it, she's she doesn't rush back to do it. And at least with the Tennessee game, that's in the window. And I mean, with South Carolina, that might be a bit of a push. But, you know, I think it's safe to say because it's, you know, I think a day before that eight weeks ends. I think, you know, hey, you know, if she's 100 percent and the doctors know it, the trainer knows it, coaches know it. You know, if she, if she gets the green light from all those parties, then, you know, hell, you know, the whole country deserves to see that. I mean, you know, and because and, and, I mean, listen, we just finally got a nationally televised game. Well, at least on Fox, that is a nationally televised women's college hoops game last year. So and it's, we're going to get even more of that. And we all want Paige Beckers to be a part of that. Yeah. And I mean, when you think about it from the perspective of growing this game, you want the best out there. Right. And if you aren't uh, someone who has been watching the women's game for years, but you kind of, you hear, Oh, you know, Paige Becker's this great player and you know, what the hell it's on Fox. I might as well turn it on. You want to see her play because she's so exciting. She is the type of player that will get you to watch another game. And there, there are a lot of great players in, in this game right now, but you can't say that about all of them. It's, it's the way that Paige plays. It's, the flashiness, the kind of bordering on cockiness, but not really like in a likable way uh, the, the passes that she makes, the big shots that she can hit. Uh, it, there's, there's something about her that just makes you love watching her play basketball. 
and putting her on Fox is such a huge opportunity for the growth of this game. Amen to that. So, you know, overall, you know, what do you say best case scenario and worst case scenario for, you know, this eight week stretch, give or take with the absence of page backers for this team, Uh, you know, you could choose whether you want to go best case or worst case first. Um, let's go best case first. I think best case, they win all of their big East games in, in that stretch and they find a way to win two out of three. Uh, between Louisville, Oregon, and South Carolina. Um, I think that's possible. Um, Louisville is probably the biggest ask if you're just going to count South Carolina as a loss. Uh, But you know what? Louisville's beatable. They lost to Arizona opening night. And I know Arizona's good, but Louisville did not look good that night. They can have off nights. That's probably Mm -hmm. best case scenario. Worst case, obviously, you're taking three losses there. And maybe you split with Marquette and DePaul in those opening games. I I don't think reasonably they're going to do worse than that. But if that happens, then you're talking about a really an uphill climb to a one seed, uh, even taking into account uh, Paige's absence, just because again, they're not going to have the wins on the resume to do it. I feel you on that. So, I mean, your personal expectation, I'm guessing it's somewhere in the middle. I'm guessing, you know, I think you and I might be in agreement on this. You know, maybe they drop two games out of that stretch. Yeah, I listen, if they win their Big East games and pick off one of those three non-conference games, that's I'll I'll be happy with that. I would be disappointed with less. All right. So there you have it. You know, it's a really great diagnosis for what UConn can do in the next eight weeks. uh, And, you know, Gino Oriana's teams, with or without their stars, they're going to rise to the occasion. So, Russ, uh, really appreciate the time. Um, and of course being my first insider, you know, guest on the women's side of my coverage here on the igloo in uh, women's college hoops, um, and specifically in the big East. Uh, again, like I said, it was really funny running into a big East media day and telling you, you know, Hey, you see me in gift form. And then, yeah, <laughs> but Hey, you know, again, it was really great. Two months after the fact to finally get you on, uh, appreciate the insight and look forward to catching up. Sometime later this year, I'm definitely probably going to see at the Big East Tournament in March for sure. Oh, you'll definitely see me at the Big East Tournament. Let's do this again, too. Oh, heck yeah, man. So, again, rest of the episode, got the Sunday picks uh, coming up, a few conference games coming up, uh, Marquette Seton Hall, and a couple others. I'm going to have that coverage. And, of course, my pick for Louisville UConn coming up right after this, so don't go anywhere. Welcome back inside the Igloo. Thank you again to Russ Steinberg for joining me to break down, you know, the Pagebacker's injury. And that was a great anecdote uh, from the Never Forget Tribute Classic, uh, you know, seeing Pagebacker's, you know, rush to make sure that uh, Gino didn't get in any further trouble uh, with the officials after picking up that technical foul. And again, we wish nothing but a speedy recovery, at least I do, uh, to uh, to Pagebacker's, um, you know, coming off that surgery earlier in the week. So, let's break down these women's games happening on Sunday, shall we? Five games on the docket, including three conference games. Starting at noon, on FS1, Seton Hall playing host to Marquette. Marquette's on a roll. They're 8-2 and two on the year. And they won their first two conference games. Seton Hall coming off that home loss to UCF. 
For some reason, Seton Hall has had Marquette's number in Walsh Gym. And I'm going to try to make sure I get the numbers right because I know the Pirates beat him in Walsh a year ago, granted with no fans in attendance, which they did winning by double digits. So even dating back, even to the years where, you know, They didn't even really look all there. You know, the last time they lost to Marquette was 2018-19, but that was when Marquette was just absolutely nasty. You know, with Natisha Heideman. I mean, that's one player I remember, and I'm trying to think of who the others were that were real. Danielle King, Selena Lott. Alasia blocked it, and and Heidemann, Heidemann in that game scored 34 when they were 8th in the country. Well, so they've, they've won the last two against Marquette at Walsh. I just don't, I just don't think Marquette is going to lose this game. So give me the Pirates, um, so give me the Golden Eagles winning over the Pirates, but it'll be a close game. That much is true. DePaul visiting St. John's, you know, this is interesting. I mean, St. John's, I mean, they they won their conference opener convincingly against Seton Hall, but DePaul's just too damn good. Too loaded offensively. I just don't see any way St. John's can contain them. Give me the Blue Demons winning and scoring a lot of points in that matter. Creighton visiting Providence. The the Blue Jays are 2-0 in conference. The Friars are 1-1. I guarantee that loss to South Dakota isn't sitting well with the Blue Jays. I know they're going to come out mad. But, man, Providence is on a roll at 6-5. I mean, 6-5 is not a great record, but, you know, since that really putrid start where they started 1-4, They've won five of their last six. But some's telling me the safe pick here is Creighton. But again, don't be shocked if Providence wins. So give me the Blue Jays winning in a tight one. Now, Southeast Missouri State visiting Xavier at the Centos Center. Both teams are four and six. I'm going to go with Xavier. I feel pretty safe in that. And then finally... 3.30 Eastern, the Basketball Hall of Fame Showcase at Mohegan Sun Arena. 7th-ranked UConn against 6th-ranked Louisville. The Cardinals are 9-1. They lost their first game of the year in overtime to Arizona. But since then, they've rattled off 9 consecutive wins. And as Russ Steinberg said, not only does UConn not have pagebackers, they're also missing their highly ranked, their number one-ranked freshman as he fud, and they're missing um, Amari DeBerry. Wait, not not Amari DeBerry. Oh, Nika Mule. That's who it was. 
So they've missed her since the Notre Dame game and most likely won't be ready to go for this one. You know, I just think Louisville and that... So without Beckers and those aforementioned players, Mule and Fudd, I don't know. It just seems like the the deck is stacked against the Huskies. I'm going to take the Cardinals uh, winning in that game. I don't think it's going to be a convincing win, but I'm, I'm, chances are... I'm going to take the Cardinals, but you know what? I think the Huskies, their their fans are going to show up because it's in the state of Connecticut in Uncasville at Mohegan Sun Arena. But my prediction, I'm going to go Cardinals by only one point. The Huskies will make it a game. You can, you can guarantee that out of Gino Oriama squad. But in the end, I think Louisville will be too much. Uh, I think the Huskies uh, will fall. Uh, but I, I really think that they will keep it at a one-possession game. And hell, even a one-point game is, you know, like I mentioned. So, that's a wrap on this episode of the Igloo. Coming up on the next episode, coming out on Monday, we're going to be really getting into the nitty-gritty of Biggie's play on the men's side with... Well, it was supposed to be five games on the docket, uh, but due to COVID issues, that ne- that number is down to four. Actually, uh, I mean, well, now it's going to be up to six because I'm going to cover through Thursday. And on that episode, um, also featured on it, I will have an interview with Marquette alum, Brendan Bailey, uh, who will be joining me. Uh, for an interview, he's now with the Salt Lake City Stars, which is his hometown squad. You know, he he's from Salt Lake City. His father, Thurl, who you remember, you might remember, was the starting center of the 1983 NC State National Championship squad, and played for the Utah Jazz. You know, in from in the 80s through the 90s. And, and now Brendan Bailey, you know, is in the Jazz organization and specifically with the Salt Lake, Salt Lake City Stars in the G League. So that interview with Brendan Bailey will be coming out on Monday. So be on the lookout for that. So that will be the next men's episode. The next women's episode, I will try to figure it out on the fly. You can expect that on Tuesday, you know, there's three uh, three non-conference games each scheduled, you know, barring any COVID setbacks, God forbid, on Tuesday and Wednesday. So, until Monday, you know, this is Timmy I signing off from the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great rest of your weekend, and I will catch you all on Monday for the next men's edition of the Igloo, and, of course, that aforementioned interview with Brendan Bailey. So long, y'all.